0: Our text of emphasis this morning is Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, My name is Greg. Thank you, Todd, wherever you may be, rushing around fixing computer equipment for inviting me to speak uh, this morning. Twice, no less. I wasn't sure I'd be asked back after this morning. No, I'm kidding. Um, But it really is a privilege to share some thoughts. For those of you um, who don't know know me, uh, just a few words. Um, I'm a member that... um, has attended here for a few years. Uh, my family lives in Connecticut. Well, I live there also, uh, to be clear. Um, and this morning I'm actually solo because two of my family members are in Greece and two of mine are teenage boys who didn't want to drive in at 6.30 this morning to be here for early service. So they're going to watch Dad on the, uh, you know, the webcast later on. Um, but my wife and daughter are doing a tour through the footsteps of Paul in Greece which is pretty fantastic. I wish it could be there. But this is also good. I'm enjoying my Sabbath here in New York. Um, this morning got a text from my wife of the prison where Paul and Silas uh, were singing when there was an earthquake and, the, and they broke out. I mean, I can't even believe they're just standing right there in front of this. And it's not like a total ruin. It's still, you know, halfway composed apparently. So it's unbelievable. Um, we are in the middle of a series on success i know there have been a couple of sermons uh, on this topic and it's a very big topic and we are in new york city which is sort of the success capital of the world that might be slightly biased but um it's you know top three Um, and so it's a relevant topic so why don't we just begin with a word of prayer Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us here together. We invite your presence and your spirit to be with us in our hearts. Uh, Quiet our minds. We know we're distracted um, always these days. But give us focus to hear what you would have us hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, there was an investment banker. And this investment banker visited a small coastal Mexican fishing village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The businessman complimented the fisherman on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. Well, the fisherman said, only a little while. The businessman then asked him, well, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? The fisherman replied, well, I have enough to to feed my family and take care of their needs with, with just these. The businessman then asked, "Well, what do you do with the rest of your time?" Oh, the fisherman explained, big smile on his face, "I sleep in late. I then I fish a little. I go home, I play with my children. I take siestas with my wife. I stroll into the village each evening where I sip some wine and I play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life." At this point, the American businessman kind of chuckled and he says, listen, I am a Harvard MBA, and I can help you. You should spend more time fishing, and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the more fish from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. At that point, you would have a fleet of fishing boats, and you could sell not to the middlemen, but directly to the processing company. Eventually... You could open your own cannery. You would control product, processing, and distribution. Of course, you would need to leave this small village and move to Mexico City, uh, probably then Los Angeles, and eventually, of course, to New York, where you would run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman looked concerned. He said, but how long would this all take? The American replied, well, not, not long, 15, 20 years. You could have all this done. Okay, so what, what then? Said the fisherman. Well, that's the best part. At the end of this, when the time is right, you could announce an IPO. Sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make tens of millions of dollars. Wow, said the fisherman. That's amazing. That, then what? The American said, well, of course, then you would retire. You'll move to a small Fishing village where you could sleep in late, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, and in the evenings you might stroll to the village where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos." I love that story. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm half Guatemalan and I grew up in California. And if you're Hispanic of any kind in California, they assume you're Mexican. So people thought I was half Mexican my whole life. It's kind of like uh, indian Pakistan. Don't get them confused. But uh, anyway, so I've got that side, and I have an MBA. Uh, It's not from Harvard, but I know we have a few of those in the crowd uh, here. We won't call any of them out, will we? But there are some of those. So I, I identify with both sides of the story. You know, there's something in there for both parts of me. It's a funny story, but I think it makes some profound points. Just three quick ones for you to note. The first is, the fisherman's true desire is to be with. It's to be with others. He wants to play with his kids. He wants to take siestas with his wife. And he wants to play guitar with his amigos. Second point is this businessman who's bringing him this huge opportunity for success is totally distracting him from what he actually wants. And thirdly, if you'll notice, the fisherman doesn't need to go anywhere to get what he wants. He doesn't need to do anything. He already has it. So keep those in mind. We'll refer back to them. But today we're going to talk a little more generally about success. What is success? Uh, It's such a broad topic, and as I was considering kind of how to, how to attack it, um, a few things kind of came to me as I read through stories like this and also through relevant passages in the Bible. So what I'd like to do is just examine three statements about success. I'm going to make three statements about success. You can agree or disagree with them, uh, but hopefully we'll be using two things, our God-given reasoning capabilities and logic, and the Bible to think this through. So quick poll, if I ask this audience who here would consider themselves, okay, I am, I'm successful, I'm a successful person. Please raise your hand. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you feel bad for doing that. <laughs> okay, that's good, that's good. How many people, w- maybe not are successful or, you know, quite there yet, but want to be successful? Who wants to be successful? Okay, good. So here's my first point about success. Statement number one, if you shoot for success, you're guaranteed to miss. Wait a second. If you shoot for success, you're guaranteed to miss. What do I mean by that? So to explain what I mean, we're going to have to deconstruct this word success and what's, what's packed in there. And we're going to do that in four steps. One, we're going to look at the definition of success. Two, we're going to look at the objectives of success. Three, we're going to look at the desires behind those objectives and four we're gonna look at the motivations behind those desires so first things first when you look it up in the in the dictionary success just really means accomplishing an objective right you can you could successfully you know move that piano to that side of the room that would be success because that was what you're shooting to do Um, but that's not really kind of how we use it these days the word success has some, it's sort of pregnant with additional meaning. In fact, it's actually pregnant with narrow meaning. We've excluded quite a few applications of the word success, and we've narrowed it down to meaning just a couple things. If we were, for example, in Los Angeles, traveling through Los Angeles, which I did a few months ago, you see these tents of homeless people, right? You wouldn't go and say, oh, that man's a success, or he's very successful. But what if you found out that He used to be a professor, and he's decided to abandon kind of traditional Western ways of thinking, and he wants to um, get rid of all material possessions and just live a very, um, you know, uh, simple existence. And, oh, maybe he is successful, actually, because he's uh, accomplishing what he set out to do. So that's strictly the definition of success, but it it doesn't work. The reality is we live in a Western society that sort of co-opted the word success. And if you ask me... I think it means three things. I think it means making money, having a great career, or getting famous. If you say, whoa, she is successful, that means one of those three things or some combination thereof. And that's pretty much all it means. We don't really use it in the other ways that the word could be used. So I think it's important to recognize that we're dealing in a society where this word success um, has been... Uh, somewhat neutered of all of the potential meaning that it contains. So what's behind these objectives? If success is trying to accomplish an objective, and we as a society have basically agreed that the only three objectives worth kind of talking about is money, career, or fame, when we say the word success, what, what are we acknowledging? We're acknowledging this basically implicit, unstated uh, opinion that those are the three most important values of our society. So if those are the three most important values, uh, what's behind those objectives? Why do people want money? And I don't mean like people, people like those people. I mean like people like us. Like why do we want money? What does that do for us? Well, money gives you a bit of control, doesn't it? Money takes away a little bit of risk, doesn't it? You save for retirement. Uh, you buy a house in a nicer neighborhood. You're taking away risk. You're trying to protect yourself. I'm trying to protect. I don't want it to speak in the you. These are very applicable to me. So money gives us this little bit of illusion of control. It allows us to shape our environment, surround ourselves with people that we like, food that we like, places that we like, We can even change how we look buy the best. But this is an illusion. We know we have no control. So what about this other aspect, though, career and fame? What does that do? I don't think that's so much a control issue, is it? That is more of a validation issue. We seek validation externally. We seek validation from people who can tell us, you have what it takes. You are worthy. You have accomplished something that I recognize as significant. Therefore, you have significance. So, remember, building this up from the ground level, we've got success, accomplishing an objective. In the United States, we're agreeing, as a society, that these are the three objectives worth accomplishing. Money, fame, career. And in looking at those, we're recognizing that behind that is this desire to control, to reduce risk, to gain acceptance, etc. And what's behind that? If you turn with me to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, I think you might get an answer. This answer makes a lot of sense to me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. This is Paul sharing. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, speaking about Jesus, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you know people that are driven? Are you driven? It's kind of like almost a slavery. You can't stop. We see it all the time. We see it with billionaires. We see it with movie stars. They just go, go, go. Never enough. And we have that tendency, don't we? It's a drivenness that comes from this ultimate fear of death, this ultimate fear of risk. We know we're at risk. We're specks. We're specks of dust. We know in our natural state we have no acceptance. We we have not done anything that merits acceptance. We're conscious of that. Well, actually, I don't know that we're conscious of that. We're subconscious of that, but it drives us. It moves us. So back to statement number one, if you shoot for success, you're guaranteed to miss. Why? Because you're going for a system that is driven ultimately by fear. And so what's the question? What will you miss? When I say you go for success, you're sure to miss. I'm not actually talking about the money and the career and the fame. You might get that, but you will miss your true objective. Remember, success is accomplishing an objective. You will miss your true objective. We will miss our true objective. Which brings me to point number two. True success is withness. So I'm using this word. This is a made-up word. This is not a real word. The word is withness. Remember the fisherman? He just wanted to be with. He wanted to be with his kids. He wanted to be with his wife. He wanted to be with his amigos. Even the MBA, remember the bad MBA? <laughs> the bad businessman from Harvard. He even acknowledged that this is the ultimate objective because after the whole IPO, you know, the fisherman sells his, his fish and builds a big enterprise and then does a. IPO on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, then even the businessman conceded that, well, of course, at that point, you know, go ahead and go, be with your kids and with your wife and with your amigos, right? So even even that guy, the antagonist, let's say, agrees that the ultimate goal is withness. And you see it in real life. You see it with billionaires. You see it with with famous people. Like you see it with people who are getting old older and want to extend their life. That's ultimately what we care about: is time. What? To sit on the hill by ourselves? Well, maybe a little bit here and there, but more so to be with the people we love. So point number two is that true success is in accomplishing withness. You know, there's a a ministry that I very much enjoy. It's an independent ministry, um, Adventist, uh, based in Oregon called Lightbearers, and a couple of the speakers of that ministry are friends of mine, Uh, David Ashrick and Ty Gibson, and they do this this teaching. uh, And and one of the things I really appreciate about what they do is they boil things down. You know, we have so much in the Word here, 66 books over 2,000 years, and there's a lot to digest. So sometimes it's helpful to kind of simplify. Um, They've got a a description of the Bible in seven words. You want to hear the story of the Bible in seven words? Okay, I'm going to give it to you anyway. (laughs) one pre-creation two creation three fall four covenant five messiah six church seven recreation amen isn't that simple well they've gone a step further and i heard a sermon and it stuck with me uh that, that boils it down to one word and yes the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> so, you, you know, where's Susanna? She knows, she knows the answer to the question. But imagine if the, if, if the word Jesus, if you couldn't select proper nouns, right? You, someone said, distill the Bible into one word and you can't use any proper nouns. Okay, what's the word going to be? So these guys think it's with. The word with. Love is obviously a strong contender and love and with are intertwined. I couldn't. I couldn't come to you with love. You're not going to remember that. You've heard it a million times. With is the word I'm shooting for here. So let's turn to Matthew 1:23, and I'll show you a little bit of with. Matthew 1:23 is a strange verse to be reading in October. Uh, you're definitely used to it at Christmas time, as am I. But let's read it anyway. Matthew 123, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is speaking about Jesus, who we believe was God manifesting himself in human form to us. Why? For the simple reason of, hey, show me, don't tell me. Right? We human beings needed to be shown who God was, rather than simply told over and over. God with us. So that's the beginning, that's the first advent What about the end? So flip back to Revelation, very last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. I read it earlier. This is describing the future, the second coming of Christ. Revelation 21 verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God this concept of with i'm reminded of the trinity you know you hear that or at least i heard that growing up and god is 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 one in three persons and there's the father and the son and the holy spirit and obviously it's very difficult to get your head around that and you sometimes wonder well okay what is the usefulness of that particular doctrine well i'll tell you one which you've probably also heard is god is love but can there be love without another is there such a thing? Love is self-sacrificial, it is other-centered. And so there was and is love in the Godhead between the three. People talk about God sent his son to die for our sins. I don't think it was, I don't think, I mean the Bible says that so I'm not contradicting it, but I don't think it it was the way some of us might imagine that it's like, you know, he's kind of kicking him out, go do this thing. No, I think it was like, listen, I will go, no, 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 I insist, it it was deferential, it was self-sacrificing, there was no part of any of the Godhead that was pushing the other person to do it, not like us humans interact with each other, it's a totally different thing, it's other-centeredness, this idea of loving community and being with others. What we are made for is love, why? Because we're made in God's image. We're made to be united in relationship with God and with other people. If you shoot for success, as the Western world defines it, you'll miss. You might achieve some of those things, but you'll miss the true objective. You'll miss the witness. Be like the Mexican fisherman guy. If he did, If he said, oh yeah, I'm going to go do that, good plan at the NBA, and he goes on this big 20-year loop to come right back to the same village, he's just lost a lot of time, spent a lot of energy, and there's no guarantee he'll get back around. I'm not saying we are bad. I'm not saying that looking for control, seeking validation is a bad thing. I'm saying it's, it's a state of our condition. I'm not here to, to, to beat up on us or really discourage us. I'm here to say, hey, let's just admit where we're at. We're specs. We don't have control. And we're needy. We, we desperately know that we don't measure up in so many ways, and we need validation. So let's get it from where it, where it should be gotten from. Point number three, statement number three. And you might be surprised by this statement because I've... Kind of spent a little time sort of bashing success. Um, But I want to tell you this. Don't be fooled. You, you are uber successful. You're extremely successful. And you don't have to do anything. You are uber successful if you want to be. Again, remember the fisherman? He didn't have to go anywhere. He didn't have to do anything. If I can tell you, you don't believe me. Some of you are like, "Mm, I don't feel very successful. But remember that success is the accomplishment of an objective. Western society has defined it a certain way, the accomplishment of money, fame, career. We have just uh, figured out that the motivation behind that, uh, did I say fear? Money, fame and career, the motivation behind that is control and validation and the motivation behind that is fear. It's our natural state of fear. But the true objective, the one that we actually still recognize, even though we're chasing around these other things, we still recognize that witness and community and love with others is what we really truly want. And we were made this way in God's image. So, why are you successful? You're successful because this is at your grasp for free. It's available. Total witness. And even though you didn't accomplish it, maybe the fisherman was born into that village and his father was a fisherman and he just got taught how to fish and it's no big deal. It just happened to him. The same's happened for us. We didn't ask Jesus to die for our sins, He did it before we were born. We didn't ask to be redeemed. We've been redeemed. We didn't ask for the gift of grace. It's just been given to us. And with that gift comes this plugged inness to the Godhead, comes a rich life that can't be explained, a peace that passes all understanding. And that is the true definition of success. Our desire is to be with God and with others because we are made in God's image. I'm not suggesting we should all go out and quit our jobs on Monday and, you know, kind of throw everything away. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, let's maybe acknowledge why we do the things we do. And let's put them in in their right place. I am very guilty of this. I am very driven, and my career and my success can take the ascendancy if I'm not very careful. I think this is what it's talking about in closing in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Jesus is speaking and he says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life, for my sake, will find it. Your successful life your career, your fame, and your fortune. Lose it. Your life with God, find it. And you will be uber successful. Amen.